0: You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now, here's Pastor Sean. This morning, I'm excited because we're starting a new series in 1 John. Uh, I'll never forget, it's happened a number of years ago. I was probably, uh, I mean, a long time ago, I was probably 26 or 27, been married just a few years. Susan and I were living in Bennington. And, uh, and I woke up in the middle of the night scared to death. This was probably one or two o'clock in the morning, and, uh, and I don't know if it was a dream or what, but it was very real and no weird. You know how some dreams like are just strange, you know, they're just bizarre and you can't make heads or tails of them, but, um, but I-, I woke up and I was convinced that I didn't know Jesus, that I wasn't saved, that I was lost, and I almost had like the whole cold sweat thing going on panic literally was in my heart, and I don't know if you've ever just woken up with just you know kind of almost nightmares kind of stuff. This was like a spiritual nightmare if you were, if you will, and and I remember you know in that waking up state like, wait a minute, I graduated from seminary, of course I'm saved, and immediately I kind of, no that doesn't make anybody a follower of Jesus, and am like, well wait a minute, I'm a pastor, of course I'm saved, well wait a minute, no that doesn't work, and I began Just in those few moments while my brain was still trying to kick into gear and to kind of catch up with what I was was feeling in the middle of all of that weirdness, I I kind of woke up and I said, wait a minute. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. I trust him. And I went immediately from panic, fear to just peace and calm to literally like, where did that come from? And what in the world is that all about? How many of you have ever either doubted or had questions about your salvation? You know, like, is this real? Am I really saved? Do I know Jesus? How many of you have ever had that in your life? Pretty pretty common experience, right? I can't fathom anyone who really knows Jesus never having that. Like, it's a normal thing to have that occasionally. It's actually not normal if you have that Regularly. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But this morning, as we open up 1 John, John the Apostle is writing this letter and he's writing it to Christians. When he writes his gospel, he says, I'm written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's writing the Gospel of John for people who don't know Jesus so that they will trust him. But when John writes his first letter, we'll see in just a minute that he's actually writing them to people who do know Jesus so that they might have an assurance of their salvation and might know exactly where they stand. So take your Bible, if you will, and look with me at John, 1 John, and uh, look with me at chapter 5. I'm going to, instead of starting in verse 1, we're actually going to look at the very last chapter, and uh, I want to show you a verse there that's just so critical to help us to understand the whole thing. I don't know if you've ever sat back and just said, okay, you know, the Bible is God's inspired word. So literally Genesis to Revelation, God His Holy Spirit spoke in the, uh, the heart of the writers in a way that they wrote down words that were their own vocabulary, their own thoughts, but they were inspired of God in such a way that he preserved them from error and from mistakes and kind of you know going off the rails and all of that. And so literally as we read the Bible, we're reading God's word through the hearts and the voice of, of the, the authors who wrote it in a way that we know that it's true and that we can rely upon it. And, and God always was inspiring each of these books of the Bible, whether it's Malachi or Genesis or Revelation or John or Acts, for a specific purpose or purposes, and the Bible doesn't often tell us that, exactly what that's about. We kind of have to discern it as we're kind of you know, figuring it out. Like when we went through 1 Corinthians, it was obvious the church was struggling about a lot of things, and Paul was trying to help them to understand. Um, they, they were kind of going off the rails spiritually. Well, I'm glad that in 1 John, we don't have to wonder or try to kind of read between the lines, if you will, and kind of discern it. He just tells us. So look at 1 John chapter 5. Look with me at verse 13, what the Bible says. John says this, very simple. I write these things to you. Who's the you? You you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And here's why. So he's writing them to Christians, to followers of Jesus. And he's writing them that they may know, that you may know, that you have eternal life. John very simply and succinctly says, guys, I'm writing to you who who follow Jesus, to you who have surrendered your life to Christ, who've put your full trust and assurance in him, and I want you to know that you have eternal life. Three things I want you to notice this morning is that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. God wants his children, those who've surrendered their life to Christ, those who have recognized their sin, who have repented, have turned away from their sin and put their full assurance and trust in Jesus, that Jesus did everything on the cross, did everything when he died for our sins, that that Jesus paid that penalty, and and our full hope and our full future is in him, and he's writing to people that, that, that trust him for that, and he wants us to know that we really have that relationship with him. Now, we all have three voices that, from time to time, are in our head, right? Some of you would like four voices. Some of you men may probably, the voice of your wife probably creeps in there, like you're about to buy something, you're like, I know what she would say, right? So maybe you might have a fourth one there, or maybe maybe your mom kicks in there. I don't know, a little bit, but really all of us have, have three different voices, if you will. One is our own. You know, we, how many of you talk to yourself? Oh my goodness. Next week we will bring in a psychologist, a therapist, and uh, we will just begin unpacking all that weirdness. Wow, do you talk out loud? How many of you talk out loud to yourself? Holy cow. You got it. (laughs) That's great. Well, we're all a little messed up anyway. So, so we all have that voice in our head, right, that we reason. Some of us talk it out loud, and I sometimes do that too. I'm a little bit of a verbal processor, and if I don't have people to process with me, then I'll just process to myself. So God also speaks to us, not in the same way as he's written his word, but he speaks into our heart, and we have impressions. I get nervous when people tell me God told me or God said You know, I'm a lot more comfortable saying I sense God is saying or I sense that God wants me rather than just, you know, a point blank kind of thing. We could talk more about that now, but we're not going to. And then scripturally, we look the enemy. Satan is able to put thoughts and impressions and things directly into our mind. So when you and I, God wants us to know that we have a relationship with him, that we are secure and that our eternal life rests in him when we, when we have truly surrendered our life to him. And that's a, that's a big if in there. Okay, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But there's three inputs into what's going on in our minds. So when you and I have doubts, there's three options. Of why those doubts may be, and I, let's start from just reality. Let's say for those of you in the room who truly know Jesus Christ, who and, and that is an absolute reality in your life. Why do where do these doubts come from? Where do these questions? Where do these where do the where do, the, where do these come from? There's only three options: not five, not ten, not twenty, three. So for these options, you sometimes uh, will create doubts in your own mind and heart. So, for instance, if you really know Jesus has died for your sins, and you really put your trust in him, there are times when you and I forget the truth and the reality that God when he looks at us, even though we sin, has forgiven us of all of those sins. So there are times when you and I do things wrong that in the middle, after that, we feel the conviction of disobeying God. And we feel we genuinely feel it not just a thinking in our head but there is a sensation of estrangement or an interruption with god think about it this way if you've ever got a if you have a good friend or maybe your your mom or your dad or or maybe your, if you're married your spouse or maybe one of your kids with somebody that you're tight with right you just you know the kind of person that you don't you can be with and you don't have to say stuff with you know, you don't have to talk to because you're just there. You're tight. You know what's going on. And when there is a fight or there is something that you've done wrong, there is, a, there is a relational estrangement, right? There is a distancing emotionally that happens. When you and I, even though we know Jesus is Lord of our life, we sin, there is a, an estrangement that begins to happen. And sometimes when we fall into that and we go down that road we begin not feeling like we're in a very good relationship with God and if we're not careful our own mind begins to say we really don't know Jesus like God how in the world everything is not right with God even when though it really is now sometimes our brain is a little faulty by the way. Uh, which base, basically, in that moment, because we don't understand the truth of God's Word, that inner voice inside of our head and our own heart is not reliable. It's not trustworthy. Now, the enemy comes along, and if we know Jesus, he's lost the battle. We've, his, his whole goal, the Bible says, is to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to keep every person on this planet from knowing Christ, if it were possible. And to be honest with you, if it were not for the the wonderful grace and the power and the sovereignty of our Lord, that would be a reality. But after a person trusts Christ, his desire is, is to mess their life up, to disgrace the name of God, to dishonor God. And the Bible describes him as the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God night and day. And he is not uh, at all bashful about accusing us to ourselves. So sometimes when we doubt our salvation, it has nothing to do with whether we're truly saved or not. Sometimes the enemy is just putting that that voice in our head and we don't discern it well. In fact, all three of those voices, we struggle at times to know which is which. Sometimes people, we've prayed and we think, well, I should do this because I've prayed about it. And we think God wants us to do that and we're convinced of that. And reality is, is, no, we're not being really truly honest with ourselves. That's just on our own heart. It's our own device. It's our own thinking. And sometimes it's the enemy. So when you doubt your salvation, it may be you that you're struggling to believe the truth of God's word in that moment. It may be the enemy that's putting inside of your head a a, a conviction. See, God doesn't love you. You really don't know Jesus, and he's just attacking you and assailing you in that moment. Or the third possibility is God in heaven is saying, no, you really don't know me. And you're beginning to come under the conviction of a God in heaven, and you have assumed that you know Jesus, but you really don't. So God wants us to know exactly where we stand with him. God doesn't play mind games. You and I will sometimes play mind games with ourselves. Sometimes we don't understand truth and it messes us up. The enemy will always lie and play mind games with us. But sometimes God in heaven is trying to tell us, no, you may have prayed and gone to church all your life, but you've really never surrendered to Christ. Sometimes God in heaven is loving us enough and we go through into this season where we're beginning to be convicted and God seems to be poking and prodding at us regularly. So it's normal for you and I to occasionally doubt our salvation or to wonder what's going on. There's been, I think, two or three times that I can think of that I can remember that that has been a reality. Sometimes it's been spiritual warfare. That first example that I gave you, Who knows? It might have been bad pizza that I had the night before, and my brain was just a little off. I don't know. But regardless, God wants us to know if you go through a season in your life where you are continuously doubting your salvation, or if you are that person that every year feels like you need to ask Jesus to save you of your sins and bring forgiveness to you, that is not right. That is not normal. There's something deeper going on that needs to get squared away. There's something in your heart that there is an assurance that God wants you to grab a hold of. There is either an attack that the enemy is beginning to assail on you because you've not really trusted some truths of God's word about where you stand and it's left you vulnerable and he's playing on that. Or the God of heaven is really pursuing you and saying, you really don't know Jesus. And the reason you're going through this conviction and these doubts and wonderings is because God of heaven loves you too much to let you be self-deluded, to to let you go through life one day, convinced that you're okay, and only one day wake up when there is no hope, and he's speaking into your heart now. So one of those realities. So I want to urge you, as we walk through the book of 1 John over these next few weeks, I want If that's you, if you wrestle with that, and if you have, regularly have those questions or those doubts or those wonderings, I, especially today, want you to say, God, John's describing me. Would you help me through your first John to know where I stand? I've got a couple of wells on. By the way, my well that was a mess last week. It's amazing what lots of chlorine will do and just, you know, we're just so grateful that laundry is normal in my house. I, I smell pretty good this morning, so no worries, you know. I'm not gonna get close to you because I'm sick, but it's not because uh, my uh, my clothes aren't clean. But we've got another well that we treat. We have sulfur water in the main well that we use for our home. And it, how many of you have ever had sulfur water before? It's a nasty smell, right? It's, it's, it's pretty brutal. Our neighbors drink it. I don't know. I gag whenever I'm you know, at their house. I'm like, no, I'm not drinking your water. So we, we treat that water that comes in with chlorine. And we've got a little pump and if, every time the well calls for water coming up through it, it just squirts a little amount of chlorine into it. And then it goes into a big tank and lets it sit and mix in there. I've kind of got my own chemical processing plant in my basement. And then when like you turn on the, the the sink or you know any other water source in the house, it goes from that tank and it goes through one filter to filter out a lot of stuff. And it goes to the next filter that's kind of a finer filter that take out the chlorine and out comes good water. Well I have to, t- I should test that, and I should do it more than I really do, but I've got a little chlorine kit that allows me to test, you know, to make sure I'm not over chlorinating the water because chlorine's not good for you, right? You're, of the way, Gilderland's water is chlorinated too, and and apparently they've got some issues right now with their water. I got a little notice from them, so if you don't know that you may want to go online and check it right now, but um, but that little test, you know, I take a little sample of the water and I dip my little th- chlorine thing in there and the little chemicals, and it comes up a certain color and I match the color for the pH and the chlorine levels and all of that. And it tells me if it's high or low or bad for you and all of that. That's an objective test. I can't just smell it. I can't just look at it. I can't tell without that. So here's my point. First John is the objective test for our salvation. Most of us walk through life not objectively considering whether we know Jesus or not. Most of us walk through life subjectively, basing on our emotions, basing on our feelings, basing on something mom and dad taught us, basing on other kinds of things that we just went to church all our life and we've always believed God or whatever. And God gave us 1 John so that we could objectively measure up where our salvation is to be very clear, to be very plain, to be very obvious if we're willing to look at that. And so I want to challenge you as we walk through this, this little letter that God has given us to be seriously looking at where your life measures up with Jesus. Second thing I want us to recognize this morning, not only has God Does God want us to know if we're saved? He wants us when we have surrendered our life to Jesus. He wants us to have that assurance and to know that it's based on him. In fact, the book of Romans says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons and daughters. We're the children of God because God himself wants to speak that into our soul. He wants us to know that. And if we're not, then he wants us to know that too and bring conviction. But the second thing that I want us to recognize this morning is is that, that this salvation that God brings to us comes through us believing in Jesus. It comes through that faith. Look what verse 13 says. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. As you think about your salvation, as you think about that, So many of us, and and I do this a lot, you know, I talk about, well, has there ever been a time when you surrendered your life to Jesus? When you look back in your life, have you really turned away from your sin? And point to that time in the past, you know, that that there was a day when you got up and that you consciously said, I do to God, that you said, I don't to my sin, I don't to my own way of life, and I do to Jesus, I surrender my life to Jesus, that we kind of point back at that. I want you to notice this morning that when John writes this letter to us, he doesn't say, now I'm writing this to you who at some point in time surrendered your life to Jesus. He doesn't say that. I'm writing this to you who prayed a prayer in your past to invite Jesus into your heart. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm writing to you who believe today, who who right now where you are, have a, a faith, a surrendered faith to Jesus as Lord. I'm writing to you today who that is your hope, your trust, your assurance. That's where you are. You see, so many times people, uh, this happened to me. When I was five or six years old, I was going to church regularly in my life. A five or six-year-old can understand the gospel enough of the message that Jesus, God loves us, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, and it's that death that saves us from from our sins. A five or six-year-old can know enough to put their full trust in Jesus. So when I was five or six, I understood who Jesus was. I knew that I was a sinner, and I prayed a prayer before God. But when I was 13, I began that, that time. Remember I talked earlier on? I began that season of just being convicted of my sins, and I, as I prayed through that, even as a 13-year-old, I don't know how I knew this. This wasn't just a matter of me doubting my salvation, but Guys, God is real in heaven, and he knows how to speak into our heart truth. And I I just, you know, in the humility or the reality of my soul, I just wanted to be right with God, wherever that was. And God convicted me that if I were to die that day, that even though I had prayed this prayer when I was young, that that was a sincere prayer in that moment, it was not a surrendered prayer, if you will, that I had really not given Jesus control of my life. And so when I was 13, I became convinced of that, and I turned from my sins, and I asked Jesus to just one time for all, would you save me and forgive me for all of, all of that? See, some people, we look back, and we have a faith in that little moment of time, but truth of the matter is, is what, what really matters is not an event that happened years ago as much as what's going on in our life today. And John is writing and saying, guys, I don't want to know about your past, but if you today have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know if you are believing today that your only hope is in him, I want you to know that you today have eternal life. See, that's good news for some of you because some of you are like, Sean, I don't know a day. I can't remember that specific day, that moment in the hour. I'm not like other Christians who've maybe written it in their Bible and put that little time down. I just, I don't know. I just, there was this season that I kind of went through life when I was in college, or maybe I was a teenager, and, and, you know, and I I just, I, I believe. I fully have my faith in Jesus. The good news is, is you don't have to have that magic moment, that specific date in your brain, but you do have to be surrendering your life to Jesus to truly know him. Now, have you ever, shifting gears a little bit, have you ever known somebody that says, well, I I asked Jesus to save me and he became my savior here, but I really didn't know him as Lord and I I surrendered and I, I asked him to be my Lord here. I want us to realize, guys, that there's no two stages to our salvation. Now this may be, for some of you may be confused, you might not have ever run into this before, but for some of you this is a a big deal because, let me say it this way, if you don't receive Jesus as Lord of your life, then He's really not your Savior either. You can't have prayed this little prayer at some point in time and say, well, but I've never really surrendered my life and, and say that, but Jesus really isn't Lord. That's not possible. Remember what Paul told the guy, the jailer in in the book of Acts, and he was in Philippi, he was arrested in in prison, and God did a miracle and opened the doors. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. He said, believe on him as Lord. In other words, put your faith in him with him as Lord of your life. Book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, therefore, um, as we have uh, received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. We receive him as Lord of our life. Romans 10 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, confess we believe in Jesus that he is the Lord of our life. That's when salvation comes. You see, there's a lot of people walking around who just have this belief, if you will, or this idea that Jesus is Savior, but they've not really surrendered to him as Lord of their life. I want you and I to realize this morning that what, what, Paul, what John is talking about, what Paul is talking about, what Jesus talked about when he said, repent, turn away from your sins and believe, it is, means that we are putting our life underneath the authority, the full authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not just that he's Lord out there, but we're saying that he is Lord in here. We're receiving him, not just as Savior, but as Lord of our life. Think about it this way. John, as he writes this in verse 13, he says, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, our faith is wrapped up in the name of what Jesus did, all that he stood for, all that he does stand for even now, and it's in his name as the Son of God. Now think about this with me. When the Bible talks about Jesus being the Son of God, it is a claim of his deity. It is not a claim, as some have said, that he is merely a creation of God. It's actually the opposite. It's a claim of his deity. When the Bible describes Jesus as the son of man, it's a claim that he is really a human being. When the Bible describes Jesus as the son of God, it is a claim that he is the, the God the son. Otherwise, it would be very redundant to say those things to, together. Think about it this way. I am the son of Laddie. That's my dad's name. Because I'm the son of Laddie, I carry his DNA. It is a natural thing that we believe. When the Bible describes Jesus as the son of man, he's carrying the genetic DNA of of manhood, of humanity. He is a human being, a product of, of Mary's womb. He carried, if we could have the DNA test today of Mary and Jesus and we compared them, there would be a match because he came from Mary. When the Bible says Jesus is the son of God, it means that he carries the DNA of God in heaven inside of his cells. It doesn't mean that he is a product of God. It doesn't mean that he was somehow created and produced by God at all. In fact, it means that he is God himself. The DNA, if you will, of the God of heaven is coursing through the veins of Jesus. So John, as he's writing, is saying, I'm writing to you guys who have put your full trust and assurance that Jesus is the God of heaven, that He is the Son of God, and as the Son of God is the Lord of the universe, and I'm writing to you who have put your trust in what He did, that He came and He died for our sins, He paid the penalty for that and rose again as the God of heaven, and that is your full assurance and trust that you have put your life underneath His authority and that He is Lord of your life. I want you, when you have surrendered to Him, to have a full assurance of your salvation. You see, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. We talk, I, I share a whole lot about surrendering, surrendering your life to Jesus. And I do it because the culture we live in is everybody believes in God. Everybody's like, well, I've always believed in God. I, you know, I be- of course I believe in Jesus. Guys, when the Bible talks about that, it is more than just believing that he died on the cross. It is a receiving of him As Lord of your life, it is a belief that puts you underneath his authority, accepting his full authority as the God of the universe over your soul. That's what it means for you and me to believe. And when we have done that in the past, that is something that continues to today. That's a whole other sermon topic that we could talk about. But that faith at some point in the past continues on to today. So whether you remember that time or not, it's irrelevant, honestly. But as long as you are believing and putting your life subjected under the authority of Christ today, God wants you and I to know that our life is secure in him. Now, why is Jesus worth believing in? Look at what John wrote. Go to chapter 1 of 1 John. Why is it worth putting our faith in him? God in his supreme wisdom and infinite knowledge knew that there would be some really cynical, skeptical New Yorkers that would say, why should we really believe that Jesus is really who he said he is? Why? Why? Why should we believe that? There's so many things in the world around us that are not worth believing. Did you read? Did you read about the penny that was up for auction? If you've got 1.7 million dollars, you can buy this 1943 penny. Apparently, this young man who collected coins back in the day, I think just during World War II, um, and his lunch money, and it kind of cracked me up that you not only would buy, pay money for, for, you know, walk in with cash, but but you would get penny, you know, a penny and. Uh, and your change when you're buying lunch at school, but he got this penny and he knew enough. It was a 1943 penny, and apparently there was something happened. Like 20 pennies got made in the U.S. Mint, and they're made out of bronze. And it was a time when copper wasn't going through because of the rationing in the war. And I don't understand all of it or take time to understand it all. But long story short, he had heard when he got that penny as a young man, right, teenager in high school, apparently. He wrote to Ford because he heard that Ford Motor Company was looking for these pennies and if he, he, Ford would give you a free car if you would give him this penny, so he wrote off to Ford, hey I heard that you would do that, well guess what Ford wrote back, yeah no we're not doing that, we've never said that. He, he heard some sort of rumor hearsay kind of thing, right? Are there very many rumors floating around the universe right now? Yeah, just, just one or two. Are there a lot of rumors floating around the universe when it comes to spiritual things, right? Pretty much we live in a day that whatever kind of thing you want to believe in, spiritually, religiously, you can find it. Like it's out there. And if it's not out there, then we live in a day and age where you can sample three or four, kind of like going to the... the. Um, the buffet line, and you take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that and take a little of this and add up and create your own little philosophy of life and your own little things that you believe or whatever. But somehow that's just a little odd, isn't it? That's like being your own therapist, your own psychologist, your own God when you just kind of make up your own thing. I don't know about you, but if I'm really going to put my life into something, I want (laughs) to believe in something that's a little bit better than what I can build or do myself. You know what I mean? Like, I I want this to be a whole lot bigger than me. I want this to be a whole lot more real than me, and I want to believe in a God that's actually out there that's reliable. Well, look what John tells us. He tells us why we should believe in Jesus, as as what the Scripture tells us. He says in verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life." He's talking about Jesus. This life was made manifest. In other words, it was revealed and declared to us, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. John is saying, hey, court of law, I'm putting up, I have seen it, I have handled Jesus, I have handled all that he represents, I've seen it, I've tasted it, I've touched it. I want you to know, that I would stand in a court of law, my life depended on it. We've seen all that, that Jesus has come and done, is what he's telling to us. That he, and he, he testifies to it, and he proclaims to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." Two reasons you and I should put our faith and trust in Jesus. One, Jesus is, by nature and definition, the God of life. You see, John 1 says, the Gospel of John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a paradox in there. If God is really God, by definition, he's infinite and beyond our full understanding, and that Jesus was with God, the Father, in the beginning, and he was God, fully deity together at the same time. And when the Bible comes and John is writing, he said, I've seen this word of life. It's that same word, that same word. Uh, not just the message of God, but the messenger of God, being the Son of God, is that Jesus is that word of life. Not that he has life, not that he produces life, but by nature, Jesus himself intrinsically is life. Guys, there's nothing in this world outside of God himself that has life in and of itself. Nothing. A seed that gets planted has life in it, right? Can sprout and grow and amazing. You can find a little tiny pine cone and the little seeds are inside a pine cone. It's amazing to me that out of that little piece can grow this tree, 150 feet tall and can live for years. Amazing. But that pine tree didn't give itself life. Where did it come from? It came from its mama and daddy pine tree, if you will, the two that, you know, pollinated and all of that. Well, where did they get it from? On down the line. You see, when we think about this, that which was from the beginning, talking about the very beginning of time, you trace the lineage all the way back through. Only God himself has life in and of himself. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're putting our faith in the one who by nature was there in the very beginning, by nature is the one that has life. Nothing in this universe can claim that. It's absolutely worth putting your faith and hope in not something that somebody created, not some first century, you know, philosophy, not some, you know, medieval period where this new idea was coming along, but from the very beginning of time in the God of heaven. Second thing I want you to notice, well, Sean, you know, there's, how do we know that the Bible was written and we can trust it and all of that? Did you notice when I read through this, that John was like, guys, we're talking about what we have seen with our own eyes. Our hands have touched him. We've, In fact, the Bible says that we've looked upon him. Literally, we gazed and studied and sat in awe. Not just a passing little thing. Not just a strange little thing. I'm a little bit of a nature nerd. You guys probably have figured that out by now. And uh, Christmas Day, we've kind of gotten a little tradition that whatever's going on, we like to get outside and go for a little hike or something. Literally nothing strenuous because... You know, after you just go from sugar to dinner to all of that, and you're inside, it's fun, but I just, I gotta get outside a little bit. I just, I've gotta do it, so it's good. And so we were out on this little hike, and uh, we were actually looking, you know, around, and uh, when you're a nature nerd, you pay attention to the little pellets that animals leave on the ground, you know, kind of what they poop all around. And we were like, oh wow, this is cool, that's what this is. and we looked at some porcupines. By the way, looks like little good and plenties. You want to know the difference? Rabbits look like skittles. Porcupines look like good and plenties. And we saw some little good and Plenty's around. I look around, like, oh yeah, these are all hemlock trees. That's what they like to eat, you know. And we're talking about, gee, I wonder if they hibernate or whatever. Long story short, we kind of. A couple of us went down this little steep ravine down to the river and our dog was with us by the way and all of a sudden I see a porcupine like 15 feet from me and like literally 10 feet from the dog and I'm like, ah! You know that's the last thing I want on Christmas Day is my dog getting all these quills and I immediately thankfully called him over and was wondering why the porcupine was following and then I realized Tavi was in between him and his little den, so or her, I don't know what it was. So all of that, but you know what I did after that? My kids and my wife were up on the hill, most of the kids well, you know what I asked? Did you see it? You know, one of my kids saw it. They caught just a little glimpse of the porcupine. When the Bible says that, when John says, we looked at him, it's not a little passing glance. It's not like you and I catching a glimpse of an animal that just, wait, what was that? Or, hey, did you see that shooting star? You know, have you ever done that? Looked at the shooting stars, and you're the one that saw it, or maybe somebody else a glance. He's not saying that. He's like, look, we have gazed and studied We know this is legit. We have tested it. We have seen Jesus and all of the life that he stood for. We saw the miracles. We were there. And I'm going on record, going on record that this is worthwhile. So you and I, when we put our trust in Jesus, we're not just putting our trust in God, but we're putting our trust in the testimony of people who saw God. Now, walk with me, work with me here. You and I are not putting our test, our, our trust in 50 people. We're jumping past 2,000 years of people in history, and we're saying, when we read this, John, I trust you. I believe what you're writing is true. We're not, we're not putting our trust in things that have been handed from generation to generation to generation to generation. Think about it this way. My mom's maiden name is Clark. And for a long time there was a story circulating in my family that we related to the, Lew- the Clark of Lewis and Clark fame, right? Like, that would be kind of cool. Until somebody did the genealogy and like, yeah, that wasn't us. <laughs> and then I've heard another story that, well, our family name was Clark, but we, I think this would be Scottish. I just, I'm not into ancestry a whole lot, but it used to be McClintock. And then when my fam- our family came over, they changed their names, they'd be better received and all of that, right? And uh, I have no idea. You know, how many of those things ever, frankly, proved to be true? You know, you're related to Queen, Victoria, or whatever. You know, it's passed down through all kinds of hearsay stuff. Here's what I'm saying. Guys, we're only, even though it's 2,000 years ago that Jesus died, we have an accurate record that was written within 30 years of Jesus' resurrection, 30 years ago, and we're reading it this morning. It would be like you and I reading a history book of something that happened in 1988, and we're reading something that recent, and we're trusting that what John said, we saw it, we held all in our mind and our heart, we've tested it, we've looked at it, we want you to know, we're going on record, that Jesus is the Savior. He's worth completely believing in. It's not fanciful, it's not weird, it's not crazy, it's absolutely reasonable. Third thing and I'm done. God wants us to know that we have eternal life when we really believe. Believing in Jesus is really something that we must do. It's a surrendering to Him and it's something that's reasonable to do because everything in Scripture, we have a complete reliability that we can put our complete faith in. When we do that, very simply we receive eternal life. Go back to 1 John 5:13. Look at it critically with me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have, not will have, eternal life, but you have eternal life. Have you ever thought about what eternal life really is? It's by nature eternal, which means it lasts forever. But it's not something, sometimes we make the mistake, well, I'm going to get eternal life when I die, and then I get to live forever, I'm going to go be in heaven. No, do you know eternal life gets to be enjoyed now? It's something that we have today. We have it, present tense. It's, it's not so much, when the Bible describes eternal life as eternal, it's not so much talking about the quantity of time, although that's in there. It's talking about the, or the quantity of life. It's talking about the quality of life. It means the life that today by nature is everlasting. It means that you and I have something in our life today, life that is not going to um, fall apart, life that is worth being for lasting forever. It is by nature that which is God's that he has given to us. It is eternal. It is the sum total of all of the amazing things that God has given and done in our life. Now I looked up eternal life in scripture just to give us some inklings about it. It's, it's a sum total of our salvation, but let me read. These will not be on your screen, but let me read you three simple verses just to tease out three things what eternal life means for us today. Listen to what John says in John five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, this is John recording what Jesus said, and believes in him who sent me, has, present tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. You and I, having eternal life means that we do not come into judgment, but we have already passed from death to life. That we have life now. We don't have to wait and figure it out now. So we have a, a freedom, if you will. That's the word I want you to put with this. Eternal life means that we, we are freed, that we are no longer under condemnation, no longer judged before God in heaven, that we are absolutely have full, complete freedom in Christ. You see, John wants us to know that we have that today, that we are freed from the penalty and the punishment and the guilt and the shame. And that's something that we possess. How often you and I have felt guilty, as we should initially when we do something wrong as God's children. Just because you're God's children doesn't mean that all of a sudden you are now perfect and you're never going to do anything wrong. Being God's child, being saved, means you truly are forgiven. Now you have no excuses to why you should sin anymore because God's freed you from that. But it's a natural thing. And then when you and I do have that sin, we sometimes if we're not careful, we feel convicted as we should because God wants us to deal with it, to own up to it, to ask forgiveness, not to save us but to, at that point, but to simply restore us in relationship with Him. Whenever Susan and I, if, I've, you know, if I haven't been as nice as I should or maybe you know, been, um, I don't know, not as patient or as loving in that moment, I ask for forgiveness, not so that we can get married all over again, but just so that we can honor the marriage arrangement that we're in. That's what it is with us as Christians. When we sin and disobey God after that, we don't have to go back and and re-enter into another relationship with God. It's not like we lose it. It's just the truth of the matter is is we ask forgiveness so that we can be renewed in that relationship that we already have. So when we do wrong, uh, we just need to simply, even in that moment as God's children, say, I'm free, I'm renewed in that, and we don't have to wallow and continue on in the guilt and the shame, and we don't have to have the mind games of wondering if not we're really saved, that that all should be at rest because eternal life means we are free. Second thing it not only means, means that we have security. Look what the Bible says, and listen, it won't be on your screen, but John 10, 28, and the Bible says this. Jesus said this, I give to them, talking about us, as his followers, I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. security not only does eternal life means we 're free, have freedom, but it means we 're secure it 's uncomfortable not feeling secure, isn't it even even animals don 't feel safe when they 're not secure you ever have many of you ever found like a a lost puppy or a cat or something—not so much a pet iguana. I'm thinking, you know, more on the m- mammal side of things. Or lost fish—I don't know how you find a lost fish, but anyway, that's another, <laughs> another thought. But have you ever seen a, you know, an animal that's kind of, you know, a kitten or a puppy that's hungry, that that knows it's in trouble, that's bladding and crying? You know, we really don't know what it's feeling, but I, I think it knows it needs help. It's not secure. It's looking for home, for stability. See, God wants us as his children to know that we're secure, that we are literally in the palm of Jesus' hand, and nothing can take that from us. Eternal life means today you and I are free. Today it means we're secure. And third thing, it means that we have a relationship with God in heaven. John 17, 3, talking about eternal life, says this. He says, this is eternal life. that they they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Guys, this is eternal life, that we know God himself, and we know the Messiah. We know God the Father. We know God the Son. We know them together. We have an intimate relationship with him. You know what eternal life means? Think back with me. When Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they walked with God. They knew him. There was no interruption into their life relationally. And all of that was lost. And that was life and joy and peace and all all the things that you and I crave, security and hope. And all of that was lost. When you and I receive eternal life in this life, we have that relationship with the God of the universe today. It's not like we... It's not like we get saved and have fire insurance and that. Well, one day I know I'm going to heaven. Everything's cool. That's eternal life. Today, the God of the universe walks with you. The joy, the peace, the presence of God in your life, that's what we have today. And that's what produces joy. We won't go back and look at it, but 1 John 4, John says, hey, I'm writing this stuff for joy. I want you to have a joy. I want to have joy because when you and I know consciously in our heart that eternal life is a part of our life, guys, all that comes out of us is just an incredible, overflowing joy. Some people have been going to church all their life, but they really have never surrendered their life to Jesus. And some people have that nagging sense that something's missing and they put it off and they put it off. Well, I've done all the things that I've been told. I want to challenge you to deal honestly with those thoughts. It may be that God is speaking to you saying, you really need to do this. Swallow your pride. I had to do that when I was 13. Well, what will people say? My dad's a pastor. Well, everybody thought I was a Christian. I've already been baptized. I've already done this and that. It doesn't matter. I had to get my heart right with God. Better to have a little moment of embarrassment, which, by the way, there's never an embarrassment <laughs> when you trust Christ. Everybody's so excited. But I had to get over that little hurdle. Better to get over that little hurdle than to think about an eternity without God. Some of you, maybe the enemy is just attack, and under attack. And as you walk through this, my prayer is that the truth of God's word would teach you that you don't have to listen to those lies, that there's hope, that maybe even your own mind and your own heart is wondered and doubted and all of that. So this morning, wherever you are, and it's it's such a challenge, guys, just let me be honest with you. It's a challenge because everybody, like all of us, we're just all individuals and we're we're all different places, and all of that in our mind and our thinking. And only the God of heaven can take his word and use that and speak into our heart and soul, cut through all the fog and just speak into our heart. And my prayer as a pastor is that not only this morning, but in the weeks ahead that God would cut through a lot of that fog. And whatever's going on to just help you to know and embrace and receive those realities, those truths. I'm praying for sure that God would help put some of these things to rest if you're struggled with them. For some of you that maybe you've thought that you've known Jesus, but you really haven't, that God would make that clear and that you would surrender your life to Christ. So I want to challenge all of us this morning to pray a simple prayer. God, wherever I am, would you help me to, one, know that, and two, embrace it, and three, to respond. So if I don't know you, I want to accept that, and help me to take the next step, which is to say, God, I need to know you. If I do know you, God, would you help me to, that to be at rest and to be real and to not doubt my salvation, but would you help me to know you in that life that I have today, to not be just something that I did years ago and just talk a good talk, but may I feel it, may I experience it, may I believe it, may I know it, may I live in light of that truth, Would you pray that kind of simple prayer today? God, I wanna know where I really am. I wanna embrace it. And God, would you help me to take those next steps? So today, that's what my challenge is for you. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the life that he gives us. Lord, I thank you for the hope, the security, and the salvation, and the simplicity of what John wrote all that time ago. Thank you, Father, that he wrote this letter within 30, within, actually it was 60 years, not 30 years, but within 60 years when Jesus rose from the dead, thank you for the assurance of an eyewitness, not just a glancing testimony, but of somebody that we can completely trust who vetted completely all that Jesus did. Lord, our hope is in Jesus, and we we accept his truth that he has given us, inspired by you, God, may we live in the light of that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.